Hello, I'm Alice Corner, producer of Work Reimagined, the Conscious Culture Podcast. In today's episode, Heather Lee Booker, Executive Director of Conscious Culture, talks to Alex Pang, author and futurist, and asks him the one big question. What is stopping us as a society from working less? And what do we need to change before we reach a universal four-day work week? I'm Alex Pong. I'm the author of the book Shorter and Rest and Global Programs Manager at 40 Week Global. And my favorite thing outside of work is probably hanging out with my dogs. This is Work Reimagined. Today we have Dr. Alex Sujan Kim Pong with us. He is the author of Shorter, How Working Less Will Revolutionize the Way Your Company Gets Things Done rest, why you get more done when you work less, and the distraction addiction. Dr. Pong is the founder of the company Strategy and Rest. His writings and opinions are quoted in major publications, including the Financial Times, the New York Times, the Washington Post, and the Guardian. He is also a regular guest on podcasts and radio shows like BBC's Business Daily and NPR's Marketplace. And this year, he has joined 40 Week as Global Programs and Development Manager. 40 Week is a not-for-profit community established by Andrew Barnes and Charlotte Lockhart to provide a platform for like-minded people who are interested in supporting the idea of a 40 work week as a part of the future work. Alex, welcome to Work Reimagined. Well, thanks very much, Heather Lee. It's great to be with you. So much of your work centers around reimagining work to be better for people while still delivering on the business, which is what we here at Conscious Culture are committed to as well. In particular, you've researched and written extensively about challenging, as you call it, the worship of overwork, or those five or six day, 40, 50, 60 plus hours a week work structure. How would our lives change if we could achieve a universal shift where we all worked less and lived more? That's a really terrific question. When you revise those things, when you kind of redesign them, what you end up with is better work, um, sort of better lives and often longer, more creative, more sustainable lives. In rest, I talk about you know, people like Nobel Prize winners and sort of famous authors or composers who often early in their lives were you know, very much driven by kind of romantic ideas about you know, how creative people work. You know, you get super inspired and you spend sort of huge amounts of time at whether it's the lab bench or keyboard or the blackboard, sort of working away in this kind of fit of all-consuming passion, but who at a certain point discover that this really is not very sustainable and discover that by working in kind of steadier, uh, steadier ways, by thinking more about how they work, and in particular, layering periods of really deep focused work of several hours a day with periods of what I call deliberate rest. Exercise, time for hobbies, walks, sort of naps, that sort of thing. They're able to do even better work than they had when they were younger to work with sort of greater, greater output or greater productivity and to have more sustainable sort of longer, longer creative lives. And so I think that that is the kind of life that we could, you know, that is, that is attainable to all of us um, if we recognize, first of all, if we recognize its value, we recognize the value of rest and the value of working together in order or to make it available for everybody. 
it's such an attractive concept, right? This universal idea of shifting, um, like you said, to where we have valuable work, but longer, more fulfilling work lives. I'd love to kind of delve into this about what it looks like across industries, right? In your book, Shorter, you interviewed companies that have obviously decided to redesign the structure of work, right? Um, it's quite a few, and they don't all implement shorter work weeks in the same way. Yet it's daunting to think of the change needed to move to a universal concept of working less, living more across industries. So what does a universal four-day work week mean for employers, for societies, for governments in practice? What do we need to do to make this happen and not be for the elite, you know, salaried upper socioeconomic part of the world? There is always a danger of sort of things like the shorter work week becoming in a sense captured by the already fortunate. Lots of companies that have, that have implemented four day weeks or other kinds of shorter weeks are, you know, not web design firms or financial services or, you know, or advertising agencies, but rather places that have hourly work um, that are kind of blue collar establishments rather than white collar. And, you know, they see exactly the same kinds of benefits that we see in, you know, or of places that have really cool, you know, dot com names. But the reality is that the shorter work week delivers benefits both to workers and in workplaces, you know, even if you are a care worker, a barista, a sous chef, you know, you're working in pest control or construction. Indeed, I think that the, you know, the only places where it really has trouble taking hold is in industries that are highly seasonal. So, you know, in construction, you know, construction companies in, you know, sort of Montana or Canada, where you work a lot during the summer and there's not a lot of building that happens when there's two feet of snow on the ground, moving to a four day week would be kind of tough there. You know, otherwise there's hardly any kind of work these days, if it's not seasonal or weather dependent, that can't sort of benefit from this kind of sort of time reduction. You know, as for governments, you know, first off, there are a few governments that have put a shorter work week into practice in their own public sectors. Iceland did it last year. The United Arab Emirates started it in just a couple months ago, this past January. And in both of those cases, you know, this is extending across you know, a range of professions from firefighters to tax collectors, you know, to diplomats. I think we'll also learn a lot more about the particular ways in which governments can help assist the transition to a shorter work week. So far, the movement has largely been driven by, you know, far-sighted entrepreneurs, founders, CEOs. Governments haven't done a whole lot to push that along so far. And we're just now, I think, starting to get our heads around whether a proposal like Mark Takano's to simply shorten the length of the work week from 40 hours to 32, or whether you know, positive incentives in the way of tax abatements or you know, relief on payroll taxes, or whether other kinds of or to policy measures you know, would encourage companies to make this move, give them the flexibility to figure out how to do so, you know, without cre with, with a minimum of unintended consequences. But the fact is, at this stage in 2022, the good news is that 
the debate around the four-day week is no longer one about whether this is a completely insane idea that would you know kill the economy um, or not but rather the debate is really around how we go about doing it you wrote about a paradox that technology's brought us and i i would love for you to read this excerpt from shorter where you touch on the paradox of technology. We're all familiar with this paradox. Mobile devices that were supposed to allow us to work anywhere and give us greater flexibility instead create the expectation that we will work everywhere. This has contributed to a world in which, as Virginia Tech professor William Becker put it, flexible work boundaries often turn into work without boundaries. So work without boundaries. Our listeners are most likely nodding their heads. Most of us are familiar with that pool to respond instantly to a text or a ding on our phone or tablet. I admit that I often have my phone by my bed um, and I wake up and there are too many days when I get on Slack before my eyes are really even fully open. Academic, medical, sociological researchers have been studying this imperative we all feel, even calling it a crisis of immediacy. And yet technology can also be a critical part of the solution of removing wasted time from the workday, or as you talked about, designing time. So in talking with the companies, as, you, have you, as you've done your research, what different ways do companies find to use technology for kind of good, not evil? as they look to shorten work? <laughs> That's a great question. And you know, I think technology plays a really important part in helping companies move to four-day weeks. But a big part of that technology story is using existing technologies differently or in ways that are healthier um, rather than ways that are sort of distracting or destructive. So, you know, the first thing is that there's a whole bunch of research that tells us that, you know, the four day week is actually already here. It's just buried under two or three hours of lost productivity per day to meetings that are too long to sort of poorly, poorly implemented technologies that take us off track um, to or of, uh, technologies that are designed to distract us and capture and and resell our attention and to you know other kinds of distractions within open offices which you know have turned into kind of carnivals of you know sort of carnivals of attention grabbing the bad you know so the bad news is that a lot of our relatively uh, you know reflexive unthinking use of technology has contributed to or to the problem of distraction at work and made us less efficient the good news is that that offers a whole bunch of things for a whole bunch of targets that we can sort of go after in order to make working time more effective and then give that time back to people. So the first thing is better practices, right? So encouraging or giving people permission to you know, do things like check their email twice a day rather than you know, have their inbox open constantly and always be in a kind of reactive mode. It can also mean different sort of boundaries around the use of things like Slack in the office. So Polar, which does um, advertising software uh, startup, they reported that in the first year after moving to a four-day week, they went from having 
something like 200 active Slack channels to 30, and the pers and the number of messages sent back and forth within Slack went down by 50%. You know that meant fewer conversations to sort of to to manage and keep track of, and also just less traffic to have to kind of oversee and sort of process and incorporate into your order of your work time. I think also having different norms around when or how you use technology is also important. Sort of building on, you know, building on this idea of ring fencing. Um, lots of companies are pretty good about discouraging use out of hours. You know, whether that is email plugins that hold, you know, hold outgoing messages until the next morning, or whether it's simply having social norms that say that you do not have to answer messages that come in you know, unless they're absolute emergencies, or the little thing in your signature line that tells the world that you work Mondays through Thursdays and that you, know, you will get you'll get to a message sort of as soon as you can within those times. All of that stuff, I think, goes to promoting a healthier kind of attitude toward technology that encourages us to think of technology as something that we use rather than something that we have to constantly respond to. So Shorter was published in 2020, right as the pandemic began. Um, in fact, I read, um, I think, I'm not sure if it was in the book Shorter or actually it might have been in the follow-on, the 20 to report on the four-day work week where you did one book, book store event for shorter right before everything was canceled at right. the beginning no. of 2020. <laughs> yeah i got to i got to do one reading in mountain view and even then the bookstore was thinking you know we think we're going to close and but then that was that was the extent of extent of my live readings and then wow. right after that everything shut down and I started to become familiar with doing events on Zoom instead. Didn't we all? Yeah. Um, and so now two years later, so this year you released a 2022 report on the four day work week that really it is labeled as a report on the four day work week. I have to say, understandably to me, it read as an update to shorter. Um, and you listed four new trends that you see emerging now, including companies forging new cultures. And I'd love if you could read the summary passage you wrote there. Sure. Companies adopt shorter work weeks to solve pressing problems with burnout, recruitment and retention, and work-life balance. But they're also rejecting cultural ideals that treat overwork as a badge of honor and are crafting new ways of thinking about time and work, what ideal careers look like, and how to improve work-life balance." End quote. Love it. So overwork is a badge of honor. I can relate. <laughs> <laughs> can't we, we all? Can't we all? Um, and, and we've all been working and operating in a crisis mode the last two years, as you discussed in this report, and a lot of adaptation by companies just to survive the last two years. So there's a great hope of transforming work, making it better um, in many ways, but there's also a risk of companies reverting back or shifting focus away from culture work as people go back to offices, return to public spaces, right? As, as the pandemic, as we, as we see a shift and we're able to open up more, um, but yet also we still have very real 
challenges for businesses today, right? We have continued supply chain disruptions for every discrete mm -hmm. manufacturer. We have global inflationary pra practices and pressures going on. Um, we have geopolitical unrest in one, if not several continents right now that um, threaten business outcomes. So what arguments do you make for company leaders to stay committed to reimagining what work can be and pushing the edges despite you know the the end of the pandemic this you know return to office potential and then some very real external business challenges that they don't have a lot of control over yeah you know i think heavily that the the last two years are not just the strangest years of our lives they may also be the most normal years of the rest of our lives you know we are there is there is, I think, a definite risk that we're not going to go back to normal, you know, from here on out with climate change sort of with sort of pandemics, with global political instability, it just is going to get crazier. Now, you might think that this is an argument for sort of not moving to a four day week that, you know, we need all hands on deck, you know, invoke whatever rhetorical thing you want and say that, you know, in this kind of super interdependent world of greater uncertainty, or of people need to sort of spend even more time at the office. I would argue a couple things, you know, number one, that the pandemic has taught us that we can change the way that we work faster and more profoundly than we ever thought possible. First off, you know, I've had a, a CEO tell me that, you know, in January 2020, work from home was the hill I would die on. I absolutely knew we could never, ever do it. And my people proved me wrong in about three weeks. And I don't think people are going to forget that experience because the way things were, you know, the pandemic also revealed were not that great for a lot of people. And we have an opportunity to make work better for everybody. Um, I think also that uh, someone recently asked me, do I think that America is ready for a four-day week? And I think the answer is that Americans clearly are ready for a four-day week. It is American companies or executives um, who need to be pulled along. So this closes out our time with Dr. Alex Sujan Kimpong, futurist, author, researcher on people, technology, and the worlds we make. As a reminder, you can find Alex's books, all three, including his latest shorter at major distributors and bookstores, including Amazon and Barnes and Noble in print, digital and audiobook formats that Alex himself read. <laughs> you can find more information about Alex on our website at conscious.org. Alex, thank you so much for joining us. Before we let you go, I always love to hear from authors what they're reading and would recommend. So what book besides yours should we all be reading right now and why? The new book by Catherine Price called The Power of Fun is a, a book that I discovered not long ago. And it is a bit like rest in that it is a kind of science-based dive into something that seems super familiar and, and maybe a little bit childish or trivial but turns out to be incredibly important for sort of for our intellectual development, our development as people, for the quality of our lives. And I think that Catherine does a great job of explaining why, you know, why we should take fun seriously and why we should, you know, why we should bring more of it sort of into our daily lives. 
So um, that's what I'd recommend. Catherine Price's Power of Fun. Find out more at conscious.org.